How's it going, Rooftop? How you guys doing this morning? Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you look beautiful this morning. Look at option number two and say, I am so glad to see you this morning. So this morning here at Rooftop, we are continuing our summer series called The Gospel According to Pixar. And you may be wondering, if this is your first time here, why is this church doing a series on on Pixar? Well, it's our goal here at Rooftop to help you be followers of Jesus in the world. We want you to be in the world, right, but not of the world. And one of the things that the world likes to do is make and watch movies. And some of these movies actually have some really amazing biblical concepts and principles that we think we should talk about. The Apostle Paul tells us that if there's anything that is true, anything that is right, noble, pure, lovely, excellent, or admirable, that we are supposed to focus upon these things. So that's what we're doing in this series is we are focusing upon these things. And so this morning, the movie we are diving into is Monsters, Inc., right? How many of you guys, Monsters, Inc., your favorite Pixar movie? Okay, quite a few. Okay, awesome. No pressure. All right. In 2001, Pixar released Monsters, Inc. on November 2nd. And so if you haven't seen the movie, I want to give us a quick recap of the movie. That way we're all on the same page. All right. So the film is about a monster world that, that, that runs off uh, children's screams. Right. Sounds pretty morbid, actually. So screams are becoming scarcer and scarcer because children are becoming less and less afraid and they're becoming desensitized to monsters. So John P. Sullivan, um, or Sully, who's voiced by Afton's own John Goodman, right, is one of the leading scarers and is responsible for a lot of the power that keeps the city running. So in this world, though, children are considered toxic And children are considered dangerous. And one night, one child sneaks into the factory through an open door. So Sully and his sidekick, Mike Wazowski, they work together to try to get her back home safely. While simultaneously, Sully uh, begins to develop a a love for this child whom he names Boo. And through the process of getting her home, Mike uh, and Sully, they discover that the owner of the Scream Company, Mr. Waternoose and their rival Randall, have been trying to find new ways to get screams out of children. So they've built a scream extractor, and they kidnap Boo, and they're going to hook her to the machine and extract her screams from her to power the city. And so obviously, though, that doesn't happen. Sully saves the day, and in the process of rescuing her, he realizes and discovers that laughter, joy, love is actually 10 times more powerful powerful than screams. At the end of the movie, the scream company actually changes to make kids laugh. So now laughter powers the city rather than fear. So there are a lot of themes that we could talk about this morning. I read uh, quite a few scholarly articles on monsters, if you guys can believe those exist. Scholarly articles about monsters, monster culture, and Monsters, Inc., And many people have written and theorized that Monsters, Inc. is actually a social commentary on post-9-11 America. And like the people of Monstropolis, we were experiencing fear over lack of resources and vulnerability. It was also a commentary on how we treated people, um, in particular the Muslim population here in America after 9-11, that they were all unjustly characterized as as evil and, and monsters and toxic for our country. 
The movie also, uh, it, it tells us not to judge a book by its cover, right? Sully is this big monster, but really deep down, he's very tender-hearted and caring. It's a movie about friendships. It's a movie about monsters that scare little children by jumping out of their closets. But more than that, it's a movie about fear, and it's a movie about love. But even more than that, it's about a movie, it's a, it's a movie about how, how love is more powerful than fear. That theme of love being more powerful than fear is interwoven through the storyline of Scripture. There's plenty of verses. Uh, 1 John 4.18, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. It says, perfect love cast out fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. David writes in the Psalms, the Lord is with me, right? And I will not be afraid. Fear, though. It's a, it's a powerful thing. So how can something like love be more powerful than fear? Have you ever wondered that? Like love is patient and kind, right? And then fear is like crippling and paralyzing and devastating. Fear can paralyze us. Fear can cause us, cause us to miss out on opportunities. Fear can actually uh, hinder our, our, our ability and our effectiveness in following God and expanding his kingdom. Fear can actually pull us out of the blessings that God has for us. So how can something like love cast out fear? But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, I want to talk about fear. Well, what is fear, right? Fear is this unpleasant emotional or emotion that's caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Fear is a very natural human emotion. Fear alerts us of present dangers, whether those things are physical or psychological. Sometimes fear comes from real threats. Sometimes fear comes from imagined dangers. Fear uh, 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 triggers in us um, some survival mechanisms. Perhaps you've heard of fight, flight, or freeze. So if you're in a fearful situation, your body tends to react in one of three ways. You're either going to get ready to fight, right? Or you're going to run, or you're going to freeze, right? That's what my wife does when I scare. She, she freezes. And so one of three things your body is going to do. But we all have fears, right? Public speaking. Um, uh, elevators. I read people are scared of elevators, evidently. I was like Googling, what are people scared of? Sharks? Spiders? In the dark. I'm, I'm afraid of the dark still to this day. I'm not ashamed of it. We may experience... Fear if you're on a flight and as you take off, right? Or before a first date um, or a big game. Fear is a very natural human emotion. But when fear becomes prevalent and it begins to impair your everyday life and it prohibits you from participating in the community that God has called you to be in, or more importantly, it hinders you doing what God has called you to do, that's when fear becomes a problem. Fear becomes dangerous Whenever we allow it to dictate our lives and hinder us from doing what God has called us to do and be the people that God has called us to be. Fear is a very common thing that the Bible addresses, and I think it's because it's such a prevalent human emotion. We all experience fear, right? We're all scared of something. As I was preparing for this message it made me think of a time when I was a, a camp counselor. I've actually got a photo of that. Many of you probably can't believe I was a camp counselor <laughs> at a summer camp. I know, I know. 
That was about five years ago. I was a, uh, a camp counselor at a summer camp called Kanakuk in Branson, Missouri. Perhaps many of you have actually been there and know where that's at. So I was a camp counselor and I was in charge of, of my, my cabin of middle school boys, right? And one day it was my cabin's turn to go to the camp's ropes course. And it was a ropes course that was actually up in the treetops, probably about 20, 30 feet up in the air. And the way you do it is you go up on logs, you walk up logs in pairs of two. You have to go in, in tandem together. And some of the obstacles, you can only do it because two people are working together. So all my kids were super pumped and super excited to go up. And they practically ran there, all of them except for one kid, all but one. He was very small, he was not very athletic, not the most outgoing kid. So all the other kids ran to the obstacle course, they got their harnesses on, they got their helmets on, and then they ran up into the trees, except for my little buddy who sat on the ground, crisscross applesauce, drawing in the dirt. And so here's one thing to note about treetops is you don't have to go up, right? We're not going to make the kids go up there. But once you go up, you have to finish, You can't get down because you're afraid. You have to finish. And so all the other kids ran to it, and my little buddy took one look at it, and he said, nope, nah, nah, not doing that. I'm afraid of heights. There's no way I'm going up. There's no way on earth that I can do that. I'm not doing it. So all the kids are running through the treetops, having a great time. My buddy's just sitting on the ground, and me and my co-counselor, we're trying to pipe him up, you know, we're, we're giving him the gospel pep talk, like, you can do all things through Christ, who strengthens you, totally taking that out of context. And like, Jeremiah 29, 11, God has plans for you to prosper you, it's going to be awesome, you can do it, get up in the treetops. And he goes, fine, I'll go, I'll go on one condition, all right? I'm like, sure, what is it? He's like, all right, I'll go, but you're going with me. And I said, all right, we're going we're gonna to do it. So, so he didn't want to harness himself to another child, get it, but he, wanted, he felt more comfortable harnessing himself to me. You know, I'm a big, strong man, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy. So he felt really, he obviously felt really safe attaching himself to me, you know. And so we start to go up and his little legs are like, like, that's how he goes up. I'm like, we can do this. Come on, man. You got this. You got this. So we get past the first obstacle and the next obstacle and then the next. And then we get about halfway through and they begin to get a little bit more challenging as you go. We get about halfway through and this guy is in full meltdown mode. All right. I'm talking like snot crying. You know what I mean? Like where you're not just like tears in your eyes. Like you've got snot like bubbling and it was just, he's just sweating and his face is red and he's screaming and he wants to get down. He keeps telling me I'm too afraid. I can't do it. But do you remember the thing is, I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't let you down because you're afraid. We got to get, and he is screaming and now he's harnessed to me. I've got a screaming chubby middle school boy screaming and snotting and tears all over me. We're like 30 foot up in there. And I was like, all right, shut up. Here's what we're going to do. All right. Look at me. Look at me. Stop crying. I'm like, don't look down. Don't look up. Don't look left. Do not even look right. Here's what you're going to do, all right? You're going to look at me. You're going to focus on me. Now, what I need you to do is I need you to just grab a hold of me and do not let go. We're going to make it to the other side. And so he, he nods. 
He grabs a hold of me, and now I've got like, just snots and tears all over me. But by golly, we made it. I had to carry that kid to the end, but we did it. And we swung down, and then he hops up. He's just got tears of joy, and everybody's congratulating him, and everybody's super, super excited that he did it, and everybody's just really, really excited and patting him on the back. And everybody's just so full of joy. And so I, was, I, I tell that story because we're all afraid of something. We all have a treetops, right? Perhaps for you it's COVID. Maybe you're afraid to die. It's, maybe you're afraid of the government. They're going to take away your rights. Maybe you're afraid of losing your job, right? You got a family to feed. Maybe you've lost your job and you're uncertain about the future and it's causing a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. Perhaps you're afraid of rejection. Perhaps you're afraid that you're not going to be accepted and it's causing you to miss out on opportunities and it's causing you to miss out on relationships. Perhaps God is calling you to take a step of faith, but you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life because you're scared. We all have something that we're afraid of. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be the kinds of people who sit crisscross applesauce and draw in the dirt? Are we going to go up in the treetops? And I think as we go through life, as we experience fear and uncertainty in situations that are scary and full of fear and cause us to be afraid, I actually think we need to be more like that kid. We need to look to someone who's bigger than us. We need to look to the one who's bigger than us. We need to look to God and say, I'm afraid and I can't do this on my own. I'll go up on one condition. God, I need you to go with me. And when it's scary and life's throwing obstacles at you, what you need to do is not look up, down, left, or right, but what you need to do is focus on God and cling to Him. And you may be saying, well, Pastor Schuyler, easier said than done. Okay? You may be wondering, how do we do this? How do we do this? That was my question the other week. How do we do this? How do we, in times of fear and anxiety, focus on God and cling to Him? I've got three things that I think will actually be helpful for us. Number one, in order to do that, we must first know that God is for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God is for you. Perhaps many of you don't know that or don't believe that, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things is in your corner. He is for you and he is working on your behalf for good. He has proved that if you're a follower of Jesus by adopting you in as his children. However, many of us live our lives afraid and we live our lives afraid of God because we actually don't understand the love that he has for us and that he's actually for us. Romans 8.31, it says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So these things that Paul is talking about are the previous verses of Romans 8. For example, he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means now there's no need to relate to God based on fear of punishment or condemnation for those who belong to Jesus, who have repented of their sins and believe. Romans 8, 28, all things work for good for, the go- for, the- for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So he's saying here, Paul says, now, what shall we conclude based on these things? He asks a rhetorical question. If God is for us, which he is clearly based on what I just told you, then he asks this question, then who on, if God's for you, then who could be against you? 
In other words, there's nothing, there's nobody more powerful than God, not even the fear that exists in your life. And the idea here is not that you won't face opposition. It's not that you won't experience fear. The idea here is that that fear will not prosper, that fear will not succeed, and that fear is not the end of the story for you because God is in your, in your corner. He is for you, not against you, and he is working things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen? And so the prophet Isaiah says this, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah writes to a people who have been attacked. Their city has been destroyed. Most of them have been taken away to Babylon um, as exiles in a foreign land, which most of you knew that because we spent 10 long months in Isaiah before we did this. But can you imagine the fear that they were experiencing to have an army come in, essentially wipe out their temple, wipe out their entire nation, take them away as captives into a foreign land? I don't even, I can't even begin to understand fear like that. But in the midst of the country's darkest moment, their darkest moment in nation's history, God does not want the people to forget that no matter what happens to them, that cannot take away the calling that God has on their life. That no matter the fear they are experiencing, that does not know God's power to redeem and to set free. When it seems the darkest, God comforts his people by saying, fear not. I am right here. I am your strength. I'm going to help you and I'm going to hold you up with my righteous right hand. No, this was not written to us, but it was written for us. Because this reveals the character and the power of the God that you and I serve. What does it reveal? That if you are part of his family, if you belong to Christ and repented of your sins and believe in Jesus, it it means that the God of the universe is for you, not against you. And he's telling you now to fear not. Number two, how do we focus on God and cling to him? Know that God is with us. Know that God is with you. In Deuteronomy, um, which if you're new to church is the fifth book of the Bible, and previously in the first four books, we, uh, we, are, we are introduced to God as the creator who, who calls a certain people to be lights to the nation. These people then are enslaved. They are set free from slavery. They wander the desert, and now they are about to enter into the land that God has called them to enter into, except now there are hostile enemies. There are, are hostile forces and other nations in that land occupying it. So just before God's people enter into their promised land, they are going to have to face opposition. They know that there are people in the land who are not just going to walk away because God told the Israelites to go there. They spent 40 years in the desert wandering in a small patch. The time has finally come to enter into their promised land that God has called them to go. Can you imagine the nerves? Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine the fear as they look out and they see opposing armies that are going to try to stop them from doing what God has called them to do? Real fear, real anxiety. And in the midst of the fear and nerves, God then gives Moses some words to share with his people. And this is what he says. To remind them that the God that brought them to it is going to bring them through it. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. 
For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He's not going to leave you and he will not forsake you. God does not deny that there are hostile forces here. He does not deny that there is opposition and that it exists. He acknowledges that there will be opposition, but he says, do not fear them because the Lord your God goes with you. God is not going to leave you high and dry and he's not going to turn away from you, hear me now, whenever you need him the most. Yes, there will be opposition in your life. There will be seasons of change that are scary and that are uncertain. There will be moments of fear and despair. But God wants you to take comfort knowing that even in fear, even in uncertainty, the God of the universe is with you and he is not going to leave you or forsake you and he is not going to turn away from you when you need him. King David knew this well. I love King David. He was very troubled, a very complicated man. Very well acquainted with fear. And this is what he says in Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he delivered me. He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. In times of fear and distress, I would venture to say that our natural response is not to do what he did. It's not to turn to the Lord. I would venture to say our, our, our response is actually the opposite. I've seen many people in trying, fearful, difficult times and uncertainty actually turn away from God. But look at the example that David sets before us. He didn't turn away, but rather he turned to the Lord. And even despite the sin that existed in David's heart, it says that God uh, acknowledged him, that God heard his prayer, answered him, and delivered him from the fear That gripped him. So how do we focus on God in times of fear? Well, we turn to the Lord in times of fear because we know that he is with us. Look at your neighbor and say, he is with you. Number three, know that God loves you. Look back at your neighbor and say, God loves you. So lastly, how do we do this? How do we cling to God in times of fear and uncertainty? Well, we know that God loves us. The disciple John wrote a letter to some early followers of Jesus, and he said this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 1 John 4.18 This is such an interesting verse. We could do a whole sermon series just on this particular verse. But because we don't have time for sake of time, I just want to touch on a few things in the remaining moments that we have. First thing is, number one, it's hard to cling to something or someone that you're afraid of. He makes a point here to talk about how we relate to God and how we view God. Do we we follow Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus just because you're scared that if you don't, God is going to punish you and send you to hell? I remember as a kid, my church, I was a, a AOG kid, Assemblies of God, come on somebody, and uh, we, they would put on a production called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Fire. Any of y'all seen that? It's scary, all right, if you're a child. So my parents would bring me to this production where um, there's people over here and it's depicting what heaven's like. Someone dies, they've accepted Jesus, and, and they go to heaven and it's very lit up and everybody's in a dress and everybody looks really happy and there's football and lots of food, all right? And then they would depict hell, like these teenagers are out having a good time and they wreck their car and they die without saying yes to Jesus. And so there are, um, there's a guy in red tights with a pitchfork and lots of fire and everybody's screaming. All right, so I was posed with this question at the end. All right, where do you want to go? 
Not, not there with the guy in red tights and a pitchfork and everybody's on fire. I don't want to do that. And I was scared as a kid. So what did I do? I said yes to Jesus because in my mind, saying yes to Jesus meant that I won't have to go to that scary place. There was no love for Jesus. There was no repentance of my sins. There was just fear. But ultimately, that was not enough to motivate me to continue to follow God. Eventually, that faded. I became older. I was a teenager, no longer motivated by my fear of hell. And there was no love for God there. So I fell away from the faith. It wasn't until much later, whenever I realized I was a sinner in need of a savior, repented of my sins and realized that Jesus loved me and saved me. And now that became my motivation for following him. It was not fear of going to hell. But it was now I related to him out of a place of love. That motivates me still to follow him. Uh, That helps me resist temptation and resist sin when those things present themselves. It's not that I'm fearful of God and fearful of punishment of hell, but rather I love him and he loves me. And I don't want to do something that's going to hinder that relationship. So our fear is not what keeps us in God's will. His love for us and our love for him keeps us in his will. The second thing is, second part of that verse, love casts out fear. Love casts out fear. This takes me back to my original question, how does love cast out fear? How can love be more powerful than fear? All right, I want to answer that. We're going to make this all make sense. We're going to tie it up in a bow. So let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, if you don't have a Bible, that's A-OK. We're going to have the words up on the screen so that you can follow along with us. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with them, with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. This is Jesus. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he again came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What's going on here? Okay, well, Jesus knows that he is soon to be arrested. He knows that his days as a free man are soon to be over. He knows that he is soon to be arrested, beat half to death, tortured for hours, and then forced to carry his own execution device up a hill, and then he will be brutally nailed to a piece of wood, There he will die, he will suffocate, and his skin will literally be ripped off of his bones. So just stop and think for a moment. We love to say Jesus dies for our sins, right? But do we have any idea what that meant for Jesus? 
do you, can you even imagine the fear and the pain that's involved in this? Crucifixion was a horrible way to die, and he knew that was soon to be his fate. And so he prays three times in that passage to God, the Father, is there another way? And we know Jesus could have tapped out. He could have let his fear grip him to the point of rejecting the cross. He could have let his fear control him. He could have run. He could have hid. He could have tried to save his own life out of the fear that he was experiencing. But instead, he chose to face his fear. He chose to push past his fear out of his love for you and for me. So how do we see, how is love more powerful than fear? Well, we just have to look at the cross of Jesus Christ to see that. He pushes past fear. He looked beyond the present scary circumstances and out of his love for you and me, he faced his arrest, he faced his accusers, he faced his executors, he did not run, he endured fear and pain and opposition and instead of running, he went to the cross because of his love for you and me. And because of the cross of Jesus, we now have the spirit of God when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. We have the spirit of God within us. And Paul tells us, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And I want you to know this morning, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you do not have to be held down by sin and you do not have to be controlled by fear. The love of Jesus is more powerful than the situations that we fear. Fear, though, is a part of life, but we cannot let it control us. We cannot let this fear dictate the way that we live our lives and the way that we treat other people. Because fear, excuse me, love casts out fear. Because Jesus pushed past his fear to save us out of his great love for us, that is the kind of love that we are to love the rest of the world with. That is the kind of love that we are to live our lives rooted in. That is the kind of love that we are to in times of fear. Focus on and cling to. Because Jesus loves us, we are to love other people. And this world right now, we know... Is, is, is rampant with fear. And this fear is causing us to hurt other people and it's causing us to fracture relationships. But as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be a different kind of people known for our love, even in dark, scary, fearful, uncertain times. So how do we do this? We focus on Jesus because we know that he is for us, right? Know that he is for you Know that he is with you and know that Jesus loves you. No matter what happens in our lives, no matter how fearful the situations that we may face, no matter the opposition, no matter the fear caused by uncertainty, I want you to know this morning that his love remains.